Chapter 18 The bowstring snapped, and the arrow flew forward, whistling through the air in between the trees, before piercing the rabbit with a muted sound. Link held his breath from his perch on the tree branch, eyes focused on the small and moving form of the brown rabbit. Finally, he shouldered his bow, climbing down from the trees and crossing the small clearing where he'd spotted the rabbit in the early dawn light. Smiling in satisfaction, he picked up the body, walking back the short distance to his shelter where he'd left his small fire burning. Once there, he set about to skinning the rabbit and cooking the meat, combining it with some other herbs and mushrooms he'd found while hunting. Soon his small cave was filled with the sounds and smells of sizzling meat and boiling fat. As Link ate his breakfast that morning, he found that, despite the warmth of the food, the odd feeling that he experienced the night prior never truly went away. He could distract himself from it for a time, but when he grew still again, the feeling of unease came back. It was like an itch that he couldn't scratch. A memory that he just couldn't recall. It continued on through the morning, well after he rejoined the old road. By noon he had emerged from the forest, leaving the valley behind. The air, he noticed, seemed even cooler today than it had been yesterday, and the wind picked up as he emerged out onto a gently upward-sloped plain that appeared to continue on for miles around him bordered by rolling hills. He drew his cloak more tightly around him. He began to see the forms of broken guardians littering the ground near the road. He saw one that was on its side, all six of its legs having been cut off. Another one lacked its head. Yet another one, strangely, had its eye pierced by one of its own legs. Each of the guardians he saw had clearly been there for a long time, often covered in moss or old bird droppings. In one of the guardian's eyes, Link even found a bird's nest that had been built in its empty cavity. The presence of the dead guardians alarmed Link, causing him to fear for Robbie's life. Neither Impa nor Pura had spoken to Robbie in many years, though they both trusted that their old friend was still alive. However, after seeing the living guardian in the citadel, Link hoped that nothing had befallen the old Shika researcher. He saw the stone quarry shortly after midday. The wind had picked up as the sun rose past its zenith, and began to dip towards the west, and Link could see clouds gathering on the eastern horizon, over the distant sea that had only recently become visible between a pair of hills that he passed. He had almost ridden past it when a calling bird called his attention to the depression in the earth, not far north from the path. He gently pulled on Spirit's reins, drawing the horse to a stop and dismounted, wincing at the soreness that had started setting in again after two and a half full days of riding. After having a long time to rest and recover in Zora's domain in Hatseno village, he felt as though he could feel every new ache in his body that much more acutely than before. He patted the horse's neck before taking an apple from his satchel, holding it out to Spirit, who took it eagerly. After a moment of hesitation, Link grabbed his scabbard, slinging it over his shoulder before making his way over to the depression. Curiously, he peered down into the pit. It had tiered levels that made it difficult from his current vantage to make out the bottom. He found a place where the land sloped steeply, rather than dropped off, and made his way down onto the next tier down. From here, he could see inside the enormous round pit that had been clearly cut out of the earth and rock by design. Piles of cut stone littered the ground below, 
and the walls showed clear signs of expansion, with sections that had been broken away. He could even see some rusted tools remaining, pickaxes and hammers. No people, though. It was a stone quarry. A hundred years prior, perhaps, this place had been used to gather stone for construction. Perhaps for the Citadel. Perhaps for Hyrule Castle. Perhaps for any number of other locations or building projects around the land. But it, like so many other places, remained untouched now, after the destruction that had visited this land. Below in the quarry, Link could see a fox cautiously poking its nose out of a small hole that it had found in the rock. Perhaps it had heard Link's approach and was looking for the source of the sounds. As Link looked around the quarry, the feeling of unease that had been plaguing him since the night prior returned in force. He felt almost sick to his stomach and grimaced, placing a hand to it. Why? Why did this place make him feel so disturbed? He reached out and touched the rock wall that surrounded the tier he was on. It was cool and solid under his fingertips. He considered staying here to investigate it further. Perhaps he could discover what haunted him about this unusual place, but the dread that only grew in his heart would not be ignored. Ultimately, he chose to climb her back up to the ground above the quarry and remount Spirit. Perhaps another time, he reasoned. For now, he needed to get to his destination, preferably before night fell. The sun had dipped below the mountainous terrain at the base of Death Mountain by the time Link arrived at his destination. The setting sun left the land in the colorful light of twilight, illuminating the clouds overhead in reds and oranges. As he rode east, he began to detect the faint smell of salt on the moist air, which only grew stronger as he approached the ocean. Eventually, he grew able to hear the sounds of the sea, waves washing up onto shore and seagulls calling overhead. As he crested one hill, he found himself looking down into a large plain that ended with a sandy beach. Fascinatingly, he could only see a strange landmass in the water, just beyond the picturesque beach. A line of sand, rock, and grass that extended out into the ocean in a spiraling pattern before finally ending at the spiral's center. Link wasn't sure at all if it was somehow created naturally, or if it was made by design. Link turned back up the incline, arriving at a small village that hadn't been on the pre-Calamity map on his Sheikah Slate. A small signpost just outside of the town announced the village as being called New Kasudo, which probably would have bolstered Link's spirits had it not been for the village's sorry state. Many of the buildings that made up New Kasudo were built of weathered wood or stone that had clearly seen better days. Most of the roofs were made of thatch, and many of them had long since collapsed in on empty structures. Several of the structures remained unkept, however, and he saw trails of smoke rising from multiple homes. His arrival garnered a suspicious response. Locals peered out of windows or stood in doorways to watch him as he led Spirit into town. No one challenged him, however, as he reached the village's center, where an inn and stable had been erected. It looked just like many of the other stables that he'd seen in his travels. Are all of these owned by the same person? The same organization? Link wondered, as he looked up at the horse-headed structure. It could have been the Dueling Peaks stable exact match. As he pondered this, he heard footsteps behind him and turned, seeing with some surprise a man dressed in a ragged tunic wearing what looked like an old soldier's iron helmet. He held a halberd in one hand, using it like a walking staff as he approached. I haven't seen a new face around here in a while, the man said, walking up to Link and stroking his pointed goatee. What brings you to the area? 
Link had left his sword strapped to Spirit's saddle. A wise decision, he expected. This man certainly seemed more at ease than the man at the Dueling Peak stable had been. I'm here to visit with an old... friend. It seemed strange for those words to come from Link's lips. He had no real memories of Robbie, the old researcher that Pura spoke of, but he supposed there might be truth to the words nonetheless. Oh? What's the name of your friend? Perhaps I can help you find him. The man spoke with casual ease, but Link could tell that this man had seen some combat in his time. His eyes held a sharpness that Link hadn't often seen in other Hylians since he woke. The man was sizing him up, just as Link was doing to him. I'm here to see Robbie. Old Robbie? The man looked surprised at Link's pronouncement, and a look of alarm passed over his face a moment later. Nothing has happened to Grante, I hope. Link didn't have a clue who Grante was, and his expression must have shown it, but the man's expression became immediately more suspicious. The man gripped his halberd more firmly than before. If you don't know Grante, then you must be a very old friend indeed. Grante is Robbie and Jaren's son. You look to be about his same age. Link sighed. Was it always going to be like this? Perhaps it was the long days of travel, or just the experience of having his motives questioned again. But he felt increasingly irritable. I'm older than I look. Look, is Robbie still living here? Link glanced up, seeing a distant lighthouse at the top of a hill just outside of the town. His eyes widened with recognition. Does he live in the lighthouse? Well, why don't we start with your name and then we can- My name is Link, he snapped, fixing his blue eyes on the man standing in his way. The man pursed his lips, clearly growing agitated as well. He opened his mouth to speak, but was interrupted a second time. Did you say Link? A new voice this time, causing both Link and the man with the halberd to look to the side, where a woman with blonde hair tied into a distinctly chic topknot stood. She stepped forward, her keen eyes on Link, looking him up and down. The lighter blue of his champion's tunic was still visible peeking out from under his darker blue cloak. Ah, Jaren, the man said, turning to face the Sheikah woman, whose traditional Sheikah garb looked completely out of place. Yes, this man just arrived, looking for you and your husband. Do you know him? Jaren continued to look Link over before smiling and turning her gaze to the other man. Not in the slightest. Link's heart sank as the other man's expression grew triumphant. He gripped his halberd mighty tightly and turned to face Link, likely to attempt to drive him out of Nukasudo. However, I can't speak for my husband, Jaren reached out, placing a hand on the man's shoulder and I'm very certain that Robbie would like to speak to this Link, either way. I'm not so sure that's wise. If he tries something, to attack you, or do something to your research, I'm here to talk to Robbie about his research, Link protested, face growing warm. See? Jaren said. It'll be fine. Thank you for your concern. She patted the man's shoulder before fixing Link with a warm smile. Why don't you go drop your things off at the inn? I need to do one last thing and then I can walk with you back up to the lighthouse. I'm sure Robbie will be happy to see you. The man, his name was Hawes, grudgingly accepted this, though his eyes remained suspicious. Link ignored him, however, and dropped his tired horse off at the stable. After some hesitation, he opted to leave his sword behind with his other equipment. He doubted he would have a need for the weapon in town, and it would make Hawes feel better, at least. He kept his Sheikah Slate and the Broken Guardian sword with him. 
when he rejoined with the woman, Jaren. She was standing at the base of the hill that led up to the lighthouse at its summit. Over one arm, she had a basket with a fresh number of vegetables and a glass bottle of milk, and in her other hand she carried a torch that burned with an odd blue flame. Oh, good, she said as Link walked up. She held the torch out to him, which he took, inspecting the torch with a frown. It seemed to burn far hotter than it should, and he was forced to hold the flame farther away from his face than he normally might have. Having you along will be a great help. What exactly is this? Link asked, eyes fixed on the blue flames. Oh, those are flames from the ever-burning fire on the Tumlia Heights, Jaren said, as she looked down into her basket full of vegetables, apparently counting the radish was within. The rain last night doused our furnace, and those are the only ones that can get hot enough. This, it would seem, was a perfectly normal occurrence for the Sheikah woman. After digging around in her basket for a moment longer, she looked up at Link and smiled. Link, was it? Yes, that's right, Link said, as he began to walk up the hill. I suppose you are the same Link that Dr. Pura and my husband spoke of from 100 years ago. The way she spoke was off-putting. It was light and airy, almost as though she was only paying him part of her attention. Yes, he finally said after a moment's hesitation. Pura sent us a message saying that you had awakened. I'll be honest, I wasn't even sure you truly existed until we got that letter. Or at least, if you were still alive. They both claimed you were, though. He could recall his last meeting with Pura, which sent him off on this quest to find Robbie. She had sternly instructed him not to tell Robbie about her de-aging rune, or the effects it had on her. She threatened to turn him into a toddler if he did. She also mentioned something about your memories being lost. Her words brought Link's attention back to the present, and he looked at Jaren. Do you remember anything about my husband? Link felt a flush run up the back of his neck and shook his head. I've only regained a few of my memories from before so far. I remember taking a photograph with him next to the lighthouse. But that is it. A photograph? Oh, uh... Link glanced down at his Sheikah slate, and then at the torch in his hand. He smiled awkwardly at Jaren. It is a picture, like a painting, but true to life. And her confused look, he struggled slightly. I can show you when we get there. Of course, Jaren said, nodding. They both fell silent for a time as they continued up the hill, the climb at times growing steep. As they passed a particularly thick shrub, Link noticed something on the ground, just off of the path. It was one of the flying guardians, like the one he'd seen at the citadel, only this one was lying on its side, half buried in the ground. Two of the limbs that the spinning blades were attached to had been broken off, while the third jutted out into the air. As a breeze blew across the hill, the blades spun lazily. Link stopped walking staring at the guardian's corpse. Its eye was not visible, seemingly buried in dirt. Just seeing it, though, was enough to send a shiver down Link's spine. This thing had once flown through the skies, controlled by Ganon's power. Had it been responsible for the destruction of the ruined town of Kasudo? Had it fired upon fearful Hylians that should have been safe from its destructive power? Robbie said this one wasn't worth the effort of digging it out from where it crashed. So we just left it there, Jaren said as she stepped up next to Link. How did it crash? Oh, he did something to knock it out of the sky, I don't really know. That was decades before I ever met him. Robbie did this? Link said, eyes widening as he looked back to Jaren. He destroyed all the guardians that came around here. That's supposedly why New Kasuda was founded all those years ago. Robbie was the only person around that knew how to fight the guardians, and he was able to beat any of them that wandered too close. This information surprised Link, 
and gave him hope. If Robbie was able to somehow defeat or dismantle these guardians, then maybe he could teach Link how to do so as well. He did not know how many guardians remained functional after the last 100 years. It could be that the one flying around the Citadel was the only one left, but he doubted it. They continued their walk up the hill until finally they reached its peak and the old lighthouse. However, it looked very little like the lighthouse in the photograph on the Sheikah Slate. The top of the lighthouse appeared to have long since been removed, leaving the structure looking squatter than before. Several small wooden buildings that were little more than sheds had been added to its roof. There was also a massive telescope, just like the one atop Pura's laboratory, and another piece of construction that Link did not recognize, composed of a metal arm and a rope extending down to a three-clawed hand that held a guardian's head suspended above the ground. A crane, as Jaren called it. True to her word from earlier, the building at the top of the hill was surrounded by guardians, or at least guardian corpses. The great metal beasts lay in heaps and piles all around the old lighthouse. Some of them were whole, while others had been broken into pieces. He saw the six-legged variants, the flying ones, as well as several of the smaller guardian scouts that he had encountered in that first Sheikah shrine. There must have been dozens of them, all lying broken and defeated. Jaren pointed Link to a strange round construction with a hole in its center, and asked him to place the torch in it. It looked almost like a blacksmith's furnace, and Link recognized it as being similar to the furnace outside of Pura's laboratory. When Link placed the torch inside of it, the wood inside caught fire quickly, burning with the same blue fire that the torch had. The furnace began to glow, with blue light from a series of Shiga designs all over its surface, and he stepped back, gasping in awe. The door to the old lighthouse was suddenly thrown open with a crash, and out stepped a short man, slightly stooped, with a shock of white hair that extended out from behind his head in every direction. His eyes were hidden behind a pair of thick goggles. Jared and Good, you're back. I need your help with the... The man stopped, as he saw Link standing beside the furnace, rather than his wife. He stared for a long time at Link, mouth agape. Link wasn't even sure he was breathing anymore. Jaren stepped slowly around Link, standing just a little bit behind him. Finally, the man whom Link was certain to be Robbie spoke. Take off your clothes. The silence that followed was only broken by the merry sounds of the fire crackling from inside the furnace. What? Robbie began snapping his fingers. At least take off your shirt. What? Take it off! I need to see your scars to know for sure that it's you. Link stared at the diminutive man in front of him, bewildered. This was Robbie? Had he gone insane in his old age? He had to be at least 120 by this point, likely even older, if he was as renowned a researcher as Pura indicated. Robbie's voice changed slightly, containing a hint of a pleading tone. I just need to know for sure. Link stared at the man, who still hadn't removed his goggles. Grimacing slightly, he unclasped the cloak and allowed it to fall to the ground. His tunic and undershirt followed, exposing the skin of his chest and back to the cool evening air. Slowly, Robbie lifted his goggles, revealing red Sheikah eyes. His eyes traveled over Link's bare chest, illuminated more by the glowing furnace than anything. Unfamiliar scars covered Link's chest and back, places where he had been cut, stabbed, or burned in a previous life. A particularly bad one marked his back. A massive spot of burned flesh in the rough shape of a many-pointed star. Robbie motioned for him to turn around, and he did so. 
To his surprise, Jaren only stood a few feet behind him. The basket had been placed on the ground, and now she held a short knife in her hand, looking quite ready to use it. Link could now see a small sheath hidden among some of the vegetables in the basket. He met her eyes, startled by the dangerous look there, but she didn't move or seem abashed in any way. Behind him, Robbie spoke again. You can turn around. Jaren, it's okay. Jaren immediately relaxed, her expression brightening with a warm, almost motherly smile. It was a disturbing shift in emotions. He didn't dwell on this, however, turning to meet Robbie's eyes again. One hundred years ago, I personally laid you down in the Shrine of Resurrection. I know every cut, burn, and scar that you sustained in the battle against the Guardians. Robbie's voice shook slightly, and Link could see the shine of tears at the corners of his eyes. I wasn't sure if I would ever see you again. I don't even know if your body had any life remaining in it in those last moments. Robbie sniffled and suddenly rushed forward, surprisingly spry for a man so old. He wrapped his arms around Link, hugging him tightly. It's good to see you again, Link. Hmm, so you already managed to defeat the piece of Ganon in Divine Beast Varuta? And from the way you described it, it sounds as though the Calamity Ganon somehow combined its power with our Shiga technology. Fascinating. And terrible. Robbie sat on a chair just inside the Akala Ancient Tech Lab, sipping at a cup of tea that Jaren brewed for them. The brewing process had not been like other teas that Link had seen brewed. Instead, Jaren had merrily poured water into a small basin and pulled a lever. A few moments later, following a startling series of hisses and whirs, warm amber tea poured out of a spigot into a kettle that she had placed underneath it. The strange tea-making contraption was not the only piece of unfamiliar technology that Link found in the laboratory, however. Pieces of Guardian were placed everywhere. Heads, legs chunks of their bodies, even several of their blue eyes. He could also see what looked like pieces of armor that had been made from the same material as the Guardians, though they were clearly not complete yet. The strangest thing in the room, however, had to be the stone figure in the center of the room. It was mostly cylindrical in shape, though it tapered in the center, leaving its body in two distant segments. The uppermost segment was made into something like a head, with two small lines of blue formed to look like eyes. A pair of rings adorned either side of the head, as well as a thin rod sticking up from the top. Glowing blue Shika text formed a ring around its base. Robbie called it his ancient oven. For all the strange technology that was placed around the room, it still bore a neat appearance, unlike Pura's mess of a laboratory. Guardian pieces were placed on the shelves, each meticulously marked. Various drawings and schematics hung from the walls or lay on tables, and Link saw several large and heavy-laden bookshelves. Fascinatingly, the room also had a full kitchen and a pair of beds that were chained to the wall so as to be able to be lifted into a vertical position. Link lifted the tea to his lips, taking a cautious sip. His memories flashed back to the tea that Telma had given him in the Dueling Pig stable, and he grimaced slightly. Don't care for the tea? Jaren asked as she pulled up another chair to join them. Flushing, Link shook his head quickly. No, it's great. I was just... Remembering another type of tea I had once. Oh, you're remembering things, Robbie asked. Pura wrote in her letter that you had lost all of your memories. Of course, that's what we theorized might happen based on our analysis of the Shrine of Resurrection. We had no way of proving that theory, of course, until you... No, that's not what I... Well, yes, I 
have begun to remember some things. Only specific memories so far, though. And only a few. They've been coming more regularly lately. Well, you certainly found your way here without any difficulty. Do you remember visiting here with Princess Zelda all those years ago? Link hesitated, not fully certain how to answer that question. Finally, he removed the Sheikah slate from his hip, which garnered a gasp of recognition from Robbie. He navigated to the map screen and turned it so that Robbie could see. Burra gave me your location with this. Ah, yes, a very useful tool for navigation indeed. It wouldn't have been difficult at all to make your way here with that. Link nodded and took it back, navigating to the photo gallery and sorting through them until he found the one he was looking for. The photograph with Robbie, Pura, and Princess Zelda, all gathered together in front of the lighthouse, as it had once been, before Robbie had modified it. He gazed down at the photograph for a long moment, as the memory played back in his head, clearer now than it had been then. He could remember taking the photograph, yes, but he could also remember Princess Zelda's embarrassment. She hadn't wanted to be in the photograph, because they had been digging. Her hands, clothes, and even face were all smudged with dirt. Her hair braids had loosened around the crown of her head, leaving them hanging down just slightly over her forehead. Her eyes. They hadn't changed, though. They shone with the excitement of a scholar in her element. Link, Robbie said. Link blinked rapidly and looked up at him, confused. How long had he been staring at the photograph? At Princess Zelda. Link cleared his throat and smiled, turned the Sheikah slate around, and handing it to Robbie. He took it, eyes widening, as he looked down at himself. Jaren leaned over, placing a hand on his shoulder. She gasped. Oh, Robbie. Grante looks just like you. Look at you. When did you carry a sword? Robbie laughed delightedly, reaching up and placing a hand on Jaren's hand. I always told you that I was quite the warrior once. And I have never expressed any doubt about that. Regardless, here is proof. I used to be a fine Shiga warrior. I was blessed with the rare combination of both intelligence and physical prowess. Hmm, yes, but you are unfortunately sorely lacking in humility. Robbie waved his hand dismissively and looked back down at the photograph, beaming. You were so young then. Naive, perhaps, but so hopeful. We knew that we couldn't prevent the eventual return of Ganon, but we could make sure that we were ready to defeat him when he did. Silence fell among them as Robbie and Jaren gazed down at the photograph, and Link thought about Robbie's statement. How had things gone so wrong? Had he once been as hopeful as the three of them in that picture? Had he and Princess Zelda plotted together how they would defeat Ganon when he rose? Had they discussed what would happen after they succeeded? Had they even considered what might happen if they failed? Robbie began to swipe his finger across the screen, flipping through some of the other photographs on the Sheikah slate. For a brief moment, Link felt a rush of irritation at him for doing so. Those images were his, after all. It felt oddly personal, his journey with the princess. He attempted to banish the feeling, with only partial success. Oh, she was so beautiful, Jaron said as Robbie arrived at another photograph. Robbie didn't immediately reply, frowning down at the image. I recognize that location. Where have I seen it before? Jaron looked at her husband and then back to the image, considering. A look of recognition passed over her face, and she patted Robbie on the shoulder. The goddess spring. The spring of power. Remember, we went there, once back before Grante was born, because I thought there might have been a shrine in that location. Ah, yes, I remember. 
Link watched as the couple briefly reminisced before finally, Robbie held the Sheikah slate back out to him, which Link took and clipped back to his belt. He then unclipped the broken guardian sword from his belt, holding it up for Robbie to see. This stopped working after my fight with the thing in Verusa. Burra thought that you might be able to fix it. I'm not sure if my normal sword is going to be as effective against whatever is waiting for me and the other divine beasts. Robbie took the hilt, pulling his goggles down over his eyes, which seemed to be able to magnify his vision. He inspected it, turning the hilt over in his hands, before looking back at Link, his right eyes appearing large and distorted through the goggles' lenses. This is a Guardian Scout sword. Where did you manage to find this? I fought one inside of Sheikah's shrine in Hateno Village. Jaren gasped sharply, jumping to her feet. She moved closer to Link, eyes wide with excitement. You've been in a shrine, truly? You must tell me what it was like. Why didn't you mention this before? Robbie, for his part, seemed almost as excited as Jaren, standing to his feet as well. And you fought a guardian scout. This could prove my hypothesis. Quickly, what color was it? Did the lights on its body glow red or orange? Link, startled, looked back and forth between Jaren and Robbie, the intensity of their inquiries making it difficult for him to focus. I, um, I think orange? Maybe it turned blue when it saw me. Yes! Robbie exclaimed, pumping a fist into the air in triumph. That's it, Jaren. Did you hear that? The guardians that are still locked away are outside of Ganon's influence. If I can figure out a way to harness that, then maybe we can find out a way to turn them back. Robbie appeared to have forgotten Link's inquiry entirely, turning and hurrying away to a desk, where he shoved papers aside to pull a blank sheet from a stack. He grabbed a quill from an inkwell and began to scribble notes at a blistering pace. Jaren pulled her chair closer, so that she could sit across from Link, their knees almost touching. Please tell me everything you can remember about the shrine. Have you been in others? Link did as she asked, though he was interrupted multiple times by Robbie, who interjected with questions of his own regarding the guardian that Link had fought. After his last interruption, Jaren removed the small spoon that she used to stir honey from her teacup and threw it at Robbie's back. They spent the next several hours poring over everything that Link remembered from the shrines. The strange puzzles, the reliance on the Sheikah slate, the way everything seemed surreal and too large to be real. Robbie and Jaren both paid rapt attention to Link's descriptions, even going as far to ask him to try and draw some sketches of what he remembered from the shrines. He did so, but it quickly became apparent that whatever skills he had from before, art was certainly not one of them. Jaren soon took over sketching to the best of her abilities that Link described. It was exhausting work, and Link felt completely drained by the time they were finished. Surprisingly accurate sketches of the three shrines that Link had visited hung from the walls, which Jaren now studied while wearing a pair of spectacles. Robbie had somehow filled out roughly a dozen pages of notes, which included various diagrams of guardians, and something that he had called the molecular structure of the stone used for ancient Sheikah structures. His sword had been all but forgotten until recently, when Link brought the subject back up. Robbie distractedly informed Link that he would craft him a much better sword than that piece of junk when he was finished. When Link finally took his leave of the pair, they were both still deep in their studies, occasionally trading notes or asking for each other's opinion. Link woke, sitting bolt upright in bed and looking around the still dim room in the inn. Wasting no time, he got out of bed pulling on his clothing followed by his boots and cloak. After a moment of hesitation, he grabbed his sword and the Sheikah slate, before sprinting out of the large open sleeping area. 
he retrieved Spirit from a sleepy-looking groom and mounted him, kicking the horse into a gallop. The spring of power. The sun had not yet risen, though the distant horizon of the sea had begun to lighten. The moon was a mere sliver in the sky overhead, and the stars were still visible. Death Mountain stood before Link as he galloped down the hill from New Katsudo, radiating with a dangerous orange glow. The lava flow down its side seemed even brighter than before, and the smoke rising from its mouth reflected the same color. I don't even know if I want to go in there. What if nothing happens? There is only one more spring after this. The night air was cold, forcing Link to draw his hood up over his head. The wind was to his back, and at times, gusted even faster than Spirit ran. He wouldn't be surprised if another storm passed soon. Let's eat first. I'll cook up a special meal for you. It won't take long. He passed by a small stand of trees, startling a pair of deer. They called to each other in alarm before darting away, deeper into the woods. An owl hooted softly from a perch on a branch. A wolf howled in the distance. It's strange to think that this place was once buried under all that rock. It makes one wonder what else is buried under our feet. He couldn't push Spirit to sprint the whole way to the quarry. The run would likely kill the horse. The ride was about twenty miles, so he soon slowed Spirit to a trot, letting him catch his breath before pushing him back into a canter. Spirit had always been a strong horse, and this morning was no different. Let me take a photograph of you for once. It will be good to have a picture of you right before your powers awaken. Who knows how you'll look after. The sun had risen over the sea by the time the quarry came into view, the depression in the ground barely visible from a distance. He kicked Spirit into another gallop, closing the last mile rapidly. Once there, he quickly dismounted, running on numb legs to the edge of the quarry. He stumbled and slid down the steep incline on its backside, but barely noticed, leaping back up and making his way down into the heart of the pit. Link's dream that night had been anything but calm. When he closed his eyes, it had been like opening them again in another world. A world in which he and Princess Zelda had traveled together side by side. He on a brown mare, she on a white stallion. At once, he had known when he'd been here before, and why being back here left him feeling so dreadful. He picked his way through the quarry. It looked just like it had in his dream. His memory. Stone pillars and piles spread throughout the pit, each looking similar to the other. Still, though, it was not hard for him to find the one that they had sat down under to eat their meal. Link used a wooden spoon to stir the pot of stew that boiled slowly over the fire. For all his talk of making a special meal for Zelda before she entered the spring, the end result was less than spectacular. How was he supposed to know the sounds that normally came from the quarry and scared away all the game from this area? Damn Gorons and their damn hammers, he muttered, as he lifted the spoon, glaring at the irritatingly thin soup. The Gorons weren't there at that moment, of course. No. Link made sure to clear away all of the quarry's workers the day before, ensuring that Zelda would have absolute privacy in her most intimate of moments. He heard a snort of laughter from across the pot and looked up in surprise to see Zelda looking up at the sky, a small smile on her lips. That was good at least. She'd been so worried earlier. The worry was still there, of course. He could see it in her expression as clearly as he could see the colors that made up the twilight sky. But still, she smiled. You want to try it, Link offered, holding the spoon out for her. 
Zelda turned to meet his eyes. The firelight made the green in her eyes seem more vibrant than ever. She quirked an eyebrow. Is it edible? My cooking is always edible. Right, she said, wrinkling her nose. That's what she said last time. You were the one who insisted that we eat a frog. No, I distinctly remember insisting that you eat a frog. Well, it was only fair, he shrugged, smiling at the princess across the fire. She stared at him a little dubiously, before finally leaning forward and taking a hesitant sip of the soup. She pulled back a moment later, considering it in her mouth, before swallowing. It's not bad, she said, nodding. Link frowned at her, and then sampled the soup, grimacing. It's water, which isn't bad. Link scowled at her before turning and rummaging through his pack for any other ingredients he could add. He wouldn't have Zelda's last meal before awakening her powers be so pitiful. Link blinked as he came back to himself, looking at the spot on the ground where both he and Princess Zelda had once sat, sharing a moment of peace before the turmoil. He smiled faintly, touching the same stone pillar that had glowed orange from reflected fire in his memory. She had joined him, sitting down beside him with her back to the warm stone. Together they had looked across from the bright fire to the dark entrance belonging to the spring. The spring of power. Slowly Link turned to look towards the entrance. It was brighter now than in his memory, lit by the morning sun and mostly hidden by hanging ivy. But in his mind's eye, he could see the shadowy entrance. It had been so intimidating then. It still intimidated him now. He took a step forward to enter the spring. Thank you.